How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing? I'm good. I mean, it's Sunday we're recording this, so, you know, the weekend's almost over, so that's sad, but a uh, a, <laughs> a surprisingly... The Bucks are back! <laughs> Ooh, nice. Uh, was, I didn't think you had that, that note in your arsenal. Uh, I got in, a little uh, John in arsenal, in me. But, Don't worry about it. Yeah. I got a little in me. <laughs> but yeah, who... Uh, I mean, I, I don't think we were expecting two wins in two nights for the Milwaukee Bucks this weekend against the Clippers and Raptors. No. Um, but, you know, just another just another chapter in the weird and um, wacky 2016-2017 season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, those zany Bucks. Um, but, yeah, they, they – I don't, I don't even know. Of course they came out and did this. And, and – I know throughout this whole week, I, when I talk to people, it's like, oh, you know what the most Bucks thing to do would be? Uh, yeah, winning both those games handily over the weekend and then going to Philly and dropping a game to the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be it. Um, so, again, I'm, I'm fully ready and prepared for that to occur on Monday. Um, obviously, you'll, most people will be listening to this on Monday, so they'll be playing the Sixers, and yeah, they'll probably drop the game tonight, because that's just what they do. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it was just kind of fun to see that Bucks team back, and I think where I want to start, and it, it's the thing I felt most confident about this this past weekend, and I'm very aware that it could go away. Um, it could go away on Monday. It could go away... Um, a little bit further down the week, it could go away next week. But to me, in the last two games, Chris Middleton is back. And to me, that that felt very real. You could see it both offensively and defensively. 19-9 and for Middleton uh, on Friday night. And then on uh, Saturday, he has another nice game, 24 points, three, three rebounds. No assists in that one, but uh, that might be due to the Bucs just simply not hitting shots. Um so I don't know. It, to me, it really felt like he was back, and I, I thought before the All Star break, there was moments where offensively you could say, you know what, I, I think Chris is back to being what he has been in the past, what he can be, um, and, and you're seeing all those talents. But defensively, he wasn't there, and it really felt like over the weekend, defensively he was back. And I, I know on Saturday it really stuck out on the one play when he was on the backside, he gets the tip. It almost goes out of bounds, and he's running at it towards half court, and then he tips it over a, a, another player, and then all of a sudden goes for the and one opportunity and lays it in. And in my head, that that was the Chris Middleton I remember, the guy that was wrecking havoc on the backside of of this Bucks uh, defensive scheme. And, and it felt like on Friday and Saturday that Chris Middleton was back. And when that Chris Middleton is paired with this year's potentially defensive, uh, all defensive team. Giannis Dedekumbo, that's a scary defense. 
Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I you know I don't know if I'd say scary defense, but I will say this: um, when Giannis and Chris are playing like we saw them play the last couple games, and you know to be honest, this, we still didn't see really Giannis sort of at maybe the peak of his abilities the no. last couple games. You know, he had some foul trouble on Friday. Uh, he had a slow start on Saturday, uh, and then really kind of turned it on in the second half again, which has been I think a recurring theme um, of late, which which is you know obviously a really good sign. Um, but when the two of those are, are kind of clicking, when the two guys, those guys are, are clicking and playing well, um, and again, as you said, I mean, they can play both directions, and um, when they're engaged both directions, um, it's it's going to make the Bucks, you know, a competitive team. And again, I think, you know, a lot of times that, you know, at this point, identity-wise, you know, what are the Milwaukee Bucks? I don't know, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think there's still a team that feels more like they're probably going to have to try to outscore you versus uh, a team that, you know, is going to, you know, lock you down and, and win the game because, you know, they're going to start with defense. Like, uh, we didn't necessarily see that, right? Against no. the Clippers, um, you know, they forced 23 turnovers, which is terrific. And I was actually pleasantly surprised. We've talked about, um, we hadn't looked at it in a while, but the Bucks turnover margin um, or turnover ratio on defense is now top five for the season, which um, it had not been. It had been kind of like around average for a while. Um, so that kind of number has picked back up, which is, you know, essential for the type of defense the Bucks play. Like the only reason to play this kind of like, you know, aggressive, you know, overloading defense is is if you are going to kind of pay it off with turnovers because we yeah. bemoan sort of the shot chart issues that it creates. And, you know, it's not to say it totally um, totally compensates for that with the turnovers. But, you know, if you're not getting the turnovers, then there's really no reason to even think about this kind of stuff. Um, but 23 turnovers. You know, still, it, it didn't feel like the Bucks played poor defense, but still 56% shooting allowed by the <laughs> yeah. Clippers. So, um, you know, 58% uh, from the foul line, 21 out of 36, mainly because DeAndre Jordan was 4 out of 13. Um, so that also sort of contributed to, you know, maybe keeping that Clipper attack in check. Um, 107 offensive rating allowed, which, you know, I think if you're the Bucks, that's better than your average. You're, you're definitely happy with that against a Clipper team that obviously has a lot of firepower. Um but yeah, I mean, I think they were good enough defensively and they scored, you know, again, uh, what was it? What is it? Was it like a record since they've been keeping track, like the 41 points off turnovers by a Bucks team or maybe it was a record against the Clippers or something like that? Um, they absolutely punished the Clippers for all those turnovers, um, 17 fast break points. So not necessarily, you know, all in transition, although that is a good number in mm-hmm. transition. Um, and then obviously on Saturday, um, a bit different, you know, against the Raptors, uh, kind of a strange one in that. You know, you go from 35 assists, which is phenomenal against the Clippers, or yeah, against the Clippers, to 16 against the Raptors, and you think, wait a minute, oh, well, they what were they doing? With, yeah. yeah, were they were they playing ISO ball? <laughs> but really, I mean, they were they were playing basketball, sharing the ball the way you would want to. They were driving and kicking um, all night long, tons of open looks, but six out of 27 from three. You know, guys just weren't kind of paying it off the way you hope, but. Um, obviously, you know, end of the day, they finished at uh, right around a 111 offensive rating, which is good. Um, and defensively, a 103 allowed, which um, obviously against a, a Raptor team, even without Kyle Lowry, given what we've seen the Raptors do against the Bucks over the last few years, um, you know, and, and the way the Bucks defense has played the last few years or, or last few months, um, you, you would obviously be thrilled to, to put up that kind of number uh, against the Raptors. So kind of some different things we saw from them. But, you know, overall, I think the, the you know, as you said, the, the big theme was was Chris and Giannis playing at a high level. And, 
you know, kind of outplaying the other team's star players. And, and obviously, uh, you know, you come away with two wins against uh, a couple of, you know, very good teams that are are striving for for home court in, in their respective conference playoff seeds. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, sometimes you get the nugget, the bucks against the nuggets. Sometimes you get the bucks <laughs> this weekend. And, um, you know, again, uh, it's like game to game. You never know what you're going to get. I appreciate that the Bucks played the Clippers and Raptors back to back because it gives me a, it gave me a chance on Twitter to wax poetically about both of those teams' point guards, who I absolutely adore. Um, watching Chris Paul will always be a delight, and I, I think even someone who loves the way he plays as much as I do just forgets how easily a man that small can take over the game. <laughs> it, it was it was just kind of crazy to watch that third quarter where CP3 just came out and was hitting threes, controlling everything in every way. And man, he he's just so good. And he, he's just a guy that is, uh, I guess, because of his height, because of his stature, because of the teams he's played for, because of the era he's played in. I, I don't know if he'll ever get fully appreciated, but damn he's good um and then the same thing with the raptors you you see the bucks finally get a win against the raptors they hadn't won against the raptors in the last two years so they get swept all four last year they lose their first three against the raptors this year and then they beat the raptors this year but this weekend it 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 wasn't it wasn't the raptors (laughs) or or at least the raptors that you know um and, and i think you can kind of see this team is trying to figure out one, I think they, w- they would have been in flux before the Lowry injury as they're trying to figure out how Ibaka fits in. And uh, I know you were talking about it before we started recording, but, man, not having Terrence Ross, like Terrence Ross might not be the greatest player, but, man, Terrence Ross always, always found a way to get a bunch of open threes against the Bucks and just kill them every single time. And... Instead, this time when you left someone open, it was PJ Tucker. It was Serge Ibaka. Um, it was it was Damari Carroll. Um, so it it wasn't that guy. And again, everybody kind of has teams like that, but it just always seemed like Terrence Ross would would go off. And it, it's a Raptors team that's very different. And then on top of that, they were already going through changes. Then they lose Kyle Lowry. Um, and they've been good. Like they, I think they won four or five since the Lowry injury before playing the Bucks. Um, so, so they've still been able to get wins, but it, it's, it's a different team. And uh, I don't know. It, it was, I, like I said, I'm just happy. I got to see those two teams back to back. Cause it made me appreciate their point guards and how good uh, those two players are. And if there's ever a time where you're thinking, Oh, you know what? I think the Bucks can get by with, with a guy that's maybe not as good at the point because they have Giannis. Well, no, <laughs> just, just no. I don't know. The, those two teams back to back just made me kind of think about that. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It's interesting. The The Raptors right now, you look at that team and you can kind of go up and down that roster and say, oh, you know, PJ Tucker, yeah, he can hit threes. You know, mm-hmm. Serge Ibaka, you know, he can hit threes, especially for his size. Damari Carroll can hit threes. Um, Corey Joseph, 38% this year. He can hit a three. Uh, but then you kind of look at it or Norm Powell and another, another guy like that, but then you kind of watch him in action and it's such a big difference watching those guys play, especially against a Bucks team that obviously has struggled defending the three point line, watching, you know, those guys who shoot threes because like, well, 
I, they're I, Delhi I and Brogdon three point shooters. They're exactly they're Delhi and Brogdon three point shooters. They can do it. They can keep a defense honest, but they're not like Kyle Lowry, where you know they're taking a screen and pulling up off the dribble <laughs> from you know twenty seven feet out and yeah. you know ripping your heart out uh, Indiana Jones style. You know, I mean, it's it's so different and the the level of pressure on a defense from those guys versus uh, you know a Lowry and, and a Terrence Ross who's obviously in Orlando now after the Ibaka trade um, it is different and the Raptors you know even if you look at it sort of from a season perspective and, and obviously you know the fact that they also start DeMar DeRozan who is I didn't even notice DeMar DeRozan was on the court for about the first like 20-25 minutes of, of yeah. game action um, he just sort of like wasn't even really demanding the ball and, um, and he's obviously not a, a three-point shooter either so you know I think it's kind of interesting that the Bucks have had so much, so many problems with the Raptors because, um, you know, I think if you look at the stats, the Raptors are not like, you know, they're not the the Cavs or, or, or Warriors, you know, shooting, uh, you know, tons and tons and tons of three pointers per game. I think they're well below average in terms of attempts and makes um, overall in the season, if I recall correctly. So uh, and then you take away, obviously, you know, a couple of their their best uh, three point shooters and, and it's even more pronounced. So um, so, again, I, I think. You know, maybe this is a team that we shouldn't be shocked that, especially without those guys, the Bucks would would have some some favorable matchups. And you know, we were joking before the podcast how watching the game, the way the Bucks were just driving and kicking and finding open guys and just keeping the ball moving, um, it was kind of funny. It felt like what it's been like watching the Bucks try to play defense <laughs> for a lot of the season, uh, and it was kind of nice to see the tables turn now. You know, they hit six out of 27 from three. So uh, not exactly, you know, making making the Raptors pay for that. But um, but I think in terms of building good habits, um, it was interesting because you know, it, it, it did seem like the Bucks there were it seemed like, I mean, again, tough to kind of pin down any big sort of tactical changes that the Bucks have made. But maybe there's something there because we did see some we did see some kind of different stuff from them this weekend, didn't we? A little bit. It's a lineup I cringe at when I see it. Because I, I think about it defensively, and it really scares me. Um, but it, it felt like this weekend they tried. I'd have to go to NBA Wowie and get the numbers, but uh, Terry with Brogdon and Delhi, or more looks of Brogdon and Delhi, or some some more of those. And when it it's two two of those if, if it's Brogdon and Delhi with Middleton or Giannis okay then you have a bunch of playmaking out there and if it's all three of those guys with normally it's I think it was Giannis or Middleton in that fourth spot um with uh, I mean that's a very small lineup it seems like that kind of juiced up their offense a little bit and again defensively not not good um it's it's a scary unit to put out there but offensively I, I think it kind of opens up some things and I think it opens up some of the more of those curling actions I know we always talk about with Jason Terry the one kind of fun thing about him is that he really just whips around there and if you're looking for player movement and guys to kind of make a pass and then cut Jason Terry is that guy like if he doesn't have the open shot he's gonna move it and then keep moving and I don't know I, I thought those guys, I, I would like I said, I have to look at the numbers to see how many minutes they played together um, over the weekend. But I think we saw some of that three guard with Terry Brogdon and Delhi, um, and maybe a little bit more Brogdon and Delhi. I mean, we had to because Brogdon played forty one minutes on Saturday night. Um, so I, I think we saw some more of that, and maybe maybe that was the the tactical uh, decision that kind of 
moved some things around a little bit and maybe awakened a little bit. I'm not sure. It, it felt like the Bucks. Um, you know, we talked about this early in the season, and I forget who it was against. It might have been against Indiana, but we talked about there. Were, there, I remember there was one game where we were bemoaning how um, teams will just overplay the Bucks when they try to make those entry passes into the high post to sort of run those like push sets and yep. and things like that. And um, you know, especially against Giannis, like we're like, oh man, like why don't you, you know, like nobody ever like seems to get a back cut out of that. And then I think it was against maybe the Pacers or somebody. Um, Giannis did do that in Delhi. There was like a nice understanding and Delhi kind of fired a rocket um, backdoor pass where Giannis sort of faked, um, you know, kind of coming out and then and then rubbed back um, inside and, and caught his defender off balance. And it felt like tonight, um, not necessarily that specific play, but it just felt like the Bucks were, were doing, were, were trying to take advantage of the overplays a lot more. Um, you know, you were before we were talking about. You were noting that it seemed like Delhi was coming off curls and mm-hmm. you know darting into the lane. Um, and, you know, maybe kind of waiting that half. Maybe like instead of you know you come off a curl and you you make the pass so a guy can come out and and then like go into a shot. You know, from 15 to 18 feet. Instead, it seemed like they were kind of almost holding it for a second longer and letting Delhi kind of curl back towards the middle of the paint um, to kind of cut back inside towards the basket. And it just seemed like in general, guys were taking advantage of of the Clippers maybe being a, a bit too over aggressive and, and mm. taking advantage of that and it paid off with you know 35 assists and what against 10 turnovers or something like that yeah. so just a crazy efficient night from a passing perspective um, you know certainly a night where I feel like ball movement like good passing you know Friday night was was a really great night to see and and Saturday to be honest even without the the assist necessarily I was gonna say also kind of thinking about this I think with Middleton now they've not really played him at the two as much since uh, since the All-Star no, break. He's been not playing a, more I don't, three. I don't, yeah, um, I don't think he's really played at the two pretty much at all. So um, so with that, though, that him at the three moves Giannis normally up to the four, and, and I think you could see that a lot in that Clippers game. You talked about some of those back doors. I, there's two I remember specifically, vividly, uh, against Blake Griffin. And I, I think a lot of the time this year, I know – I talked to Giannis about a little bit after the game was that what was it because like? because there's been plenty of times where I ask him what was this this matchup like and he always just like kind of ignores the question because he doesn't like to compare himself to other individual players but like when I ask that question it's Kawhi Leonard it's Paul George it's it's a wing or a guard that ends up covering him and rarely a four that ends up on him and throughout that night uh, to me, it stood out that, oh, Blake Griffin is covering Giannis. And that's not something I think we normally see. We, we I don't think we normally see fours on Giannis anymore. I, in years past, I think we have. But this year, I, I think most of the time, it's more threes that are covering him. And in that Clippers game, I, I just remember him kind of faking as though he was going to set a ball screen for Delhi, quick back door, and there was that one crazy acrobatic finish that Giannis had where it was Delhi back door to him in the lane, and then he takes the contact from DeAndre Jordan, and I don't know how he finished it. Um, but I do think, again, that's kind of a, a tactical shift where you see Giannis in a position that he's not really – played a lot in um and you kind of see something that the bucks haven't really shown a lot of this season um with i i guess and and i guess it'd be because middleton's there and at the three instead of the two and that kind of bumps everything up and makes their lineup smaller on the whole uh, i guess as as a whole because 
Giannis is more penciled into the four spot. Is that making any sense, or am I? I, th- well, I feel I think, like that makes sense, right? I think it's I think it's offense versus defense, right? I mean, Giannis playing the four defensively is nothing new, right? We've seen that kind yeah. of all season long, um, you know. And, and again, you know, before it was trying to keep Jabari um, defending wings more, keeping him out of pick and rolls, whereas Giannis, obviously, in a one-four pick and roll, is kind of like the ideal type of you know guy to to have in that situation, given his you know just general abilities defensively. Um, so Giannis defensively on the four is is nothing really new. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think what you know, we've often talked how teams typically like to put wings on Giannis, which, you know, when Jabari was playing often meant Jabari being guarded by more of a kind of a traditional foreman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess I mean, I haven't thought about it as much of late uh, in terms of like who is guarding Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I mean, because often it feels like a whole team is covering him. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and the, we, we see, you know, in in the course of a game, obviously, with with so many switches and actions happening, yeah. you know, it often ends up being somebody else. Um, I thought the Bucks did very well exploiting the size mismatches they had in in kind of both of these games. You know, we saw Giannis get an offensive rebound and then spin past DeMar DeRozan for a yep. big dunk in the second half um, on Saturday. Uh, we saw Middleton using his size um, repeatedly on on smaller guys. Frank, uh, I adore the disgust that Middleton and Giannis have <laughs> when they see a guard on them. They they aren't. They're just mad. They're disgusted that you would dare switch anyone under, I don't even know, 6'4 on them, 6'5. And maybe the guy could even be 6'6 and skinny. But if you put anyone shorter than them on them defensively, they just refuse to vacate the post area. And again, that's frustrating. It's awful offense. Like it, the the Bucks don't have creative ways to get into that, and sometimes it just bogs down possessions. But man, if those guys, if they're actually making the passes, I don't I don't know if there's an easier basket for anyone on the Bucks than Chris Middleton with someone six four or shorter on him than Middleton on the block because it's it feels like an automatic basket. And then it gets to the point where, especially on Friday night, where they would see it, they would see the guard, they'd get Middleton the ball, and then it'd be an immediate double. And Chris is just too talented of a player not to make the right pass there. And whether that would be one of his nine assists or it would be a hockey assist or a hockey-hockey assist, like that was kind of juicing up their ball movement. And like you said, it was, what, 36 assists, 35 assists on Friday night? So it just feels like those two being feeling so disrespected when you put a guard on them and actually being able to create out of the post. And I think that's kind of, again, when we talk about the post not being dead, that's what we mean. Like you can still play make out of the post. And I think the good teams figure out how to use that mismatch. And it just felt like over this weekend, those two guys can kind of see that. And they just take advantage of it, fully take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm I'm a little torn on this stuff because you know again, I mean, we've seen Middleton in the post a lot the last couple of years, and again, you know when especially when he's going against twos, you know his size it makes it pretty easy for him to shoot over top. But you know again, I mean a turnaround jump shot, step back jump shot, as good as Chris is at those, I'm still not going to say that that's a you know super high value shot in the modern NBA. But again, to have that as a safety valve type of of option, I think is really valuable. Um, 
you know, we haven't seen Chris sort of start to launch away from three. Uh, he played well over the weekend, really without relying that much on the three ball. I think he was um, one for four on both games from three. Um, so really kind of getting it done through other ways, really, by mm-hmm. basically being effective inside the arc, um, which, again, it's great that he can do that. Um, I think certainly uh, you'd like to see him, you know, again, be able to kind of find more room from from three and, and be more of a weapon there. Um, but we'll be interested to see. I mean, I think for Giannis, um, I mean, he's going to have a mismatch most of the time in the post, unless it is, you know, a, a four man guarding him. Um, and for Giannis, especially because he doesn't have that, like, you know, you can't just necessarily just throw him the ball, you know, 30 feet from the hoop and let him run a pick and roll to mm-hmm. get a jumper or sorry to get to the rim or whatever. You know, just teams have, have generally been able to kind of hedge him on pick and rolls and, and kind of, you know, limit his ability to be effective that way. I do think the post is a more valuable kind of fallback for him. Um, and I'm still a little disappointed that, you know, he, he hasn't really seemed to want to put that little just baby hook, you know, like a five to seven foot little push shot, which he can get against you know, pretty much anybody who's going to guard him. Um, that still doesn't seem to be something that he's really confident looking for. It seems like a lot of times when he goes into the post, um, he'll kind of dribble a dribble, pick up his dribble and then pump fake and then not know what to do. And it's just like, man, Giannis, just go up, you know, turn over <laughs> your turn over that left shoulder um, and just use that length, you know, to go over the top of guys. Um, but, hey, uh, I'm more than happy to see him kind of spin baseline for dunks as he did a couple times um, over the weekend. And, and you know, again, he, he obviously when when he gets a really small guy on him, um, you know, he can really kind of just get close to the rim and back them up until basically it's a lamp or a dunk. But, um, but yeah, want, it, it's was, an interesting thing. I was, sorry. Um, I was going to say one one thing I'm totally fascinated by. And I tweeted something out like this, I think, on Friday. But everyone hates the Bucks offense. Hates it. Like, there's rarely a time where you're watching the Bucks play offense and you're like, you know what, that makes sense. That's pretty basketball. And the Bucks are 10th in offense. Like, their offensive rating is 10th in the NBA. And it's funny because I'll see tweets like, what's wrong with the Bucks' offense? Or how do the Bucks fix their offense? And in my head, I'm thinking, they don't, like, I understand, like, there's, there's a truth that the Bucks' offense is both bad but still effective. It's not pretty. It's probably not designed all that well. But Giannis is such an insane individual talent as Jabari was offensively uh, before he left, as Greg Monroe is, that these dudes just know how to score. And I, I don't know if the Bucks have had a guy like that in a while, uh, let alone two or three guys um, that, that can just score. And it, it it just makes offense easier. Um, the Bucks offense is bad, but it's still the 10th most efficient offense in the league. Um, and I don't know. It, it's just something that I've been fascinated by because I, I think if I were to poll Bucks fans and even Bucks fans that watch the Bucks all the time, and I'd ask them, how good is the Bucks offense? If you had to rank them 1 to 30, how effective is the Bucks offense? Do you think there's a chance the consensus is above 15? Because I don't think there is. I don't even know if the consensus is above 20. Uh, you mean like guessing the actual offensive efficiency yeah. of the Bucks? If I if yeah. I would if I would ask Bucks fans and even Bucks fans that watch regularly, I don't think many people would think it's in the top half of the league. Certainly no, not the I top think, ten. I think that's fair, and I think um, 
you know, and again, it's sort of like familiarity breed, you know, breeds contempt, uh, I yeah. think in a lot of ways, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of fatigue around, you know, certainly there, there's a lot, there are a lot of people who are, you know, tired of, of sort of the Jason Kidd offensive and defensive approach, which, you know, is step by extension, Joe Prunty's offense, Sean Sweeney's defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's been kind of the same rinse and repeat for the past few years and, and, you know, ironically, the offense has finally come around this season. Um, Kidd has never had an offense this good in, in any of his previous coaching seasons. Um, defensively, obviously, we, we haven't seen, you know, the return to what they were a couple of years ago. And I think, you know, it's interesting. You look at how many more threes are shot now versus even two years ago. Um, you kind of wonder, you know, hey, this off this defense maybe it did work two deep two years ago but yep. uh, things have probably changed so quickly that even two years later um this kind of like defense and, and again it may not require you know you may be able to tweak stuff um to be a little bit less sort of help centric um mm-hmm. and and maybe you can then be passable because again it's not like they're the only team that you know loads a strong side or, or whatever um and to be honest i think watching the raptors game you know the thing we never really talk about is the integrity of the defense at the point of attack. And that's for a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them is just because, you know, again, the NBA isn't so much just clear out one-on-one. Do you have a guy who can stop the other guy one-on-one anymore? But, um, but I just looked at a guy like Brogdon. Brogdon got, you know, Brogdon guards a lot of different guys sort of in the course of, you know, different possessions. Um, you know, he'll guard anything from one to three. And, you know, in, especially in the game against Toronto, um, it just seemed like he just made life harder for for guys that he was playing. It you know it just it just seemed like there was a lot less daylight you know and, and he had good possessions against DeRozan. He had good mm-hmm. possessions against you know Corey Joseph and um, you just kind of wonder if the Bucks could could only sort of instead of having everything be you know wait for somebody else to help you. You know sometimes you have to kind of help yourself. Yeah. And you kind of wonder if they could just maybe have a little bit more. Um, you know, a little bit more ability to contain the ball um, that you wouldn't then get into these situations where, you know, the ball gets zipped around easily and for that corner three or whatever it is. But, you know, if it was easy to figure out, you know, whatever, <laughs> then you could just snap your fingers and figure it out Yeah. Um, in terms of like kind of little stuff like that. But um, but yeah, it's I guess it's it's an interesting thing to find. I think it was funny, too, is think um, some somebody early this season, somebody was complaining about how the Bucks are like you know, a super stagnant offense and, um, you know, they, they, they don't pass the ball and things like that. And then, and I'm, I'm actually curious, I want to look it up right now, but, um, I think at the time the bucks were like fifth or something in like passes per game, which, you know, again is, is yeah. not, I mean that, that, that alone doesn't tell you that a team is, is a great passing team, you know, just passing the ball a ton, um, doesn't tell you that it, it's actually doing anything. I mean, you can kind of pass it side by side, side to side a lot and it doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know that you're gonna have like a ton of success but um but i don't know it it was it was just sort of interesting that 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 you know there's this perception the bucks are like the worst at that sort of thing and i don't know i don't think they are like necessarily as as bad as maybe a lot of people think passing isn't a good thing on its own like good passes are a good thing but i just think at the end of the at the end of every year, I always go and check out Ian Levy, who we've had on the podcast before. He does the the radar graphs of NBA offenses. I don't know if you can imagine it right now, but there's four points on it. And uh, I think one is player movement, one is ball movement, um, one is pace, and one is maybe three-pointer shot. I can't remember for sure. Um, 
but there's not one shape when you look at these that makes you an elite offense. Like there's not, oh, you should have this amount of player movement and this amount of ball movement. There's no answer there. Like there's plenty of teams that have a ton of player movement. I think the Knicks were last season one of the best teams in player movement and ball movement, and their offense was trash. And like there's there's no set formula for these things. Like you may not necessarily love to watch the Bucks offense, but it's effective. And uh, I don't know, it, it's just strange to kind of figure out this balance. And I would assume at the end of the year, the Bucks will probably be pretty high as far as ball movement goes. I can't imagine they're going to be as maybe as high as they were in the past on player movement. Pace is going to be what? Let's see, are they down a little bit this year? Um, and you're you're going to see something that you're not really going to be able to figure out the data. Those four data points, you're not going to be like, oh, there's the answer. The Bucks should be doing this. Like that answer doesn't exist. It's it's different strokes for different folks. Like every team here, has here to figure out what so is here, best for them. Yeah. So here, here you go. So uh, here's here's a top five. This is uh, Cleveland, Houston, Washington, Toronto, Oklahoma City. Actually, that's the bottom five in passing. That's the crazy part. You look at the teams that you'd expect. You know, you'd think the Rockets, the Cavaliers, you know, the Wizards and Raptors have obviously been very good this year. The Thunder, maybe it makes more sense. You think of Westbrook just sort of ball dominating. But the bottom five teams in the league are all really good teams in terms of the fewest passes, um, the fewest passes made per game. So it's just like kind of like a weird thing. The Bucks are you know, about middle of the pack. So um, whereas the team that that passes the most is the Philadelphia 76ers, third New York Knicks, fourth Sacramento Kings. Yeah. It's, just very, it's, it's just a weird it's a weird stat. I mean, but a lot of it is obviously like the purpose with which you, you pass and, you know, do you get bogged down? And, you know, it's one thing to kind of make a pointless, you know, pass to a guy who's, you know, to John Henson or, you know, 20 yeah. feet from the basket. It's another to, to make a pass that's actually going to start an action and, and show some purpose. And um, offensively, I think a lot of it is just sterling individual talent. If you have an incredible offensive player and you mentioned some of those guys lebron james that's why the Cavs uh, have such a good offense and obviously you're gonna have kyrie irving in there as well rockets oh they have james harden the thunder oh they have russell westbrook the bucks they have Giannis. so uh, as much as the x's and o's of offense can can be interesting to talk about and you can think there's new ways and there's answers there to juice up the offense and make it better there certainly are and I'm one that always writes about getting more threes from Middleton and figuring out new things. All those answers are out there, but at the same time, you just got to have good offensive players. And if you have good offensive players, you're going to have a good offense. Yeah. And I think, I think to be clear, I would not take, you know, Joe Prunty and, and Jason Kidd off the hook and say that, well, they're 10th. Totally. So, totally you know, so they're, they're good. Right. Um, you know, this is a team that is, top 10 in three-point percentage accuracy and still one of you know shoots has some of the lowest numbers in the league in terms of attempts and makes right yeah which is obviously driven by the attempts number so you know to me it, it's such an obvious thing that you would try to shoot some more threes um and again you know part of that is personnel maybe a little bit you know kind of calibrating guys to have that mindset but um you know as we said uh you know is is malcolm brogdon uh refusing to shoot more threes and Jason Kidd has no power over that um you know if that's the case then well 
I think you can have a conversation as a head coach to tell a guy to shoot more threes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a rookie we're talking about. So I think that's part of coaching that I think, you know, is an obvious one that, that they can do better. And, you know, I think the Bucks have come around a fair bit. They are shooting, you know, significantly more, you know, significantly more threes this year than last year. Um, but they're still not really keeping up with, again, this trend in the league to to dramatically shoot um, more threes. And, you know, again, as, as long as you're shooting at a high percentage, you, I think it's fair to ask, well, you know, you should probably keep shooting some more until until you start until going down, down yeah. in efficiency. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch, um, especially, you know, when you think about roster construction, kind of moving forward. Um, you know, Thon Maker being a guy who obviously uh, will shoot, you know, a, a significant proportion of his shots right now are threes, as they should be. Uh, didn't have a good weekend from three. Um, but he should be shooting from perimeter. Um, and I think, you know, again, if Giannis is really the four on both ends and he's playing with, you know, Chris Middleton at the three and then, you know, two more guards beyond that, then you should be seeing a lot more lineups that that are very much, you know, spacing around Giannis type lineups. And maybe that is a is that a reasonable segue for talking about? I'll do it. The, yeah, let's the go. The newest the newest. Yeah. Uh, the Wizard of Haas, uh, Spencer nice. Haas, um, seeing his first extended action of the night uh, against um, the Raptors on Saturday. Haas just kind of showed up, hit six out of seven shots, 16 points, eight boards, plus 14 out of block in 17 minutes. Um, That's going to be the Spencer three. Haas game, right? Like, yeah. there's not going to be another one like that this year, is I, there? I, I would just say this. Let's be very careful to ex- expect Spencer Haas to be doing this uh, regularly because Spencer Haas has been around a very long time, and Spencer Haas is an NBA player, but there's a reason why Spencer Haas gets traded basically every year. Uh, and, you know, uh, kudos to him for p- jumping in and, and being ready to play. I think you got to give him a lot of credit um, for playing been- well. and. And being part of that team, that that unit that kind of turned the game around. But um, you also don't want to be, you know, making broad plans around roster construction based on one move either. Is Spencer Hawes the stretch fives of John Henson? You mean the spe- – oh, that's interesting. So whereas Henson – so what is he John the, Henson is he the is stretch to, five version of – What what John Henson is to like sort of shot blockers that never Correct. really kind of – make the impact you want is is spencer haas the stretch five sort of type guy i think that's fair i mean i think he was shooting what 30 percent from three this year um he just seems like like the type of guy like henson where you see a couple games you may see sporadic you may see you're just gonna see like the highlights like you you're an outsider to this team you're not watching them every night and all of a sudden there's like a month stretch and five times in that month you see man spencer Hawes was killing it from three tonight that dude that man he must be really good for his team and really stretch the floor and man that's a guy i'd like to have on my team or you see john henson five times in a month have four blocks and be like oh man he's so good at protecting the rim the numbers tell me the same thing like this guy could really help out my team and then you sign him and you figure out oh, between those five games, there was 15 other games. <laughs> and they didn't go as well. Um, I don't know. That that was my first thought when I saw him go off on Saturday night. Yeah, they, they flattered to deceive, um, I guess. So, it, it, But it is kind of an interesting thing because, you know, I mean, 
the Bucks. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happens this summer. We we've obviously pondered a lot with, with Greg Monero is kind of the, the big first domino here. Um, and Spencer Haas has a six million dollar player option. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, that's probably a good over under number. Like with what what at what number does Spencer Haas opt in versus opt out? I don't think the market's going to be that strong for centers this summer uh, just because of the glut of guys who got overpaid last summer and you know less cap space this summer to to chase guys that you know i just don't foresee spencer Hawes getting you know more than that uh, on the free agent market this year but who knows right who knows what or what his priorities are going to be where he'll, he'll want to play but um you know if if spencer Hawes playing like that makes the bucks more open to sort of cutting you know cutting bait on john henson that that might not be a bad thing in the grand scheme um but it, it does certainly kind of raise some some obvious questions and unfortunately it also means that you know the Bucks kind of musical chairs game with their big men this this season is probably not <laughs> not going to stop, and we're going to continue to see you know kind of these these random smatterings of Henson here and Haas there and Thunmaker starting but not necessarily playing that much, and you know Monroe kind of being the only guy probably who's going to be playing consistently. We need to talk about Thon and Jason Kidd's Thon thoughts from Friday night at some point. We don't have any more time today. Um, but at some point this week we do, and if anyone's curious what I'm talking about, go find Friday night's pregame. Um, the Bucks post all of the pregame and postgame interviews. Go find Jason Kidd uh, pregame on Friday night. Uh, we had probably a three- to four-minute discussion with him about Thon, and I-, I think for anyone asking why isn't Thon playing 30 minutes a night, why is Thon starting and barely, barely playing, I-, I think that conversation will enlighten you and give you some of those answers. Um, so I would, I would say, I would, I would just suggest doing that. Um, and, and I think that's a topic we'll get to obviously in the next, in the coming weeks, because I could see the bucks not getting themselves back into the playoff push. I could see us needing to discuss some other topics more future based. And, um, I think that'll certainly be one of them. Um, but again, go check that out. It's very insightful and honest and, those aren't things that I, I normally use to describe Jason Kidd's pregame uh, discussions <laughs> with us. Uh, so go go check that one out because I, I think it's very good. Um, also in that same vein, musical chairs. Um, one of my followers, Sam Rodabaugh, Rodabaugh. I'm sorry if I, I'm murdering your name, um, but you you tweeting at me is Spencer Hawes going to play his way into a four-year, $52 million contract? Um, might have been the most messed up tweet I've ever gotten. Um, I almost reported you for spam and blocked you, um, but damn, that's a good joke. Um, there's, there's, there's there's too much truth in that one. But, I, I responded no, too soon, no. man, too soon, but wow, that, was, that, was, that, that one hit say, me. Will, that one hit I, me hard. I will definitively say no, Sam. I, I will... Um, you know, I will put enough faith in the Bucks front office uh, <laughs> that 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 will not happen this summer. But uh, you know, uh, don't don't prove me wrong, Bucks. All right, I think that's enough for today. Anything else you wanted to touch on? I know we talked about the Spencer Hawes game. We talked about Chris being back. We talked about Giannis. We talked about some interesting lineups that have maybe changed the way the Bucks look offensively. Um, and we talked about the Bucks defense forcing some more turnovers. Anything else you want to get in, Frank? Yeah, I think the the thing I'm most curious about we we go from a weekend of uh, you know, wow, Bucks, okay, <laughs> to a very obvious sucks to lose matchup in Philly. 
against the Sixers team that has still been pretty frisky, even without Joel Embiid now out for the season. Um, you know, uh, Malcolm Brogdon versus Dario Saric in the uh, try to take Joel Embiid's Rookie of the Year award bowl. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see if the Bucks can uh, actually maintain some momentum for once, or uh, or if they uh, yet again uh, do some very Bucks Bucks like things. So I'm I don't know I, I'm I hope that I will not be enraged when I when I talk to you next time on on Monday night. I hope for the same exact thing. Um, but this has been locked on bucks. I know it's tough for us to try to, I guess, smash as much of the weekend into uh, a single podcast as possible. Hopefully, we didn't miss anything. If we did, let us know on Twitter. You can find Frank at F Madden NBA. You can find me at Eric underscore name, and the last name is N E H M. Um, let us know on there. Uh, we are we are always happy to have conversations and talk to people there. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This has been Lockdown Bucks.